0: It's good to have more than just a few of us speaking here together. We all say, his love endures forever. Uh, how about we pray before we look at this psalm together? Lord God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your love for us, which endures forever. We pray that you would speak to us by your spirit tonight and give us Ears to hear and eyes to see more of you and your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. How will I know? How will I know if he really loves me? I say a prayer with every heartbeat. I fall in love whenever we meet. Some of you might recognize those words from a famous song from the 80s. Uh, I'm sure Nick and Roseme might give you a rendition later. They, uh, at, at one of our group walks earlier in the year, they did a, a lip sync of that song, and it was, it was wonderful to watch. Well, it's that song, How Will I Know, by Whitney Houston. Houston and, and she's singing about this dilemma she has. There's a guy, she, she loves him. But does he, does he love her back? She desperately wants to know. How, how will she know if he does? And, and, I mean, there are lots of popular love songs over the years that express this desire that we as humans have for love, to be in love, to love and, and be loved. You know, some of them talk about how easy it is. The Jackson 5 sing ABC, it's easy as one, two, three. as simple as Do, Re, Mi, ABC, 1, 2, three, That's how easy love can be. It's talking about this similar situation to Whitney, about the exciting, you know, first bit of romance between a boy and a girl when they first meet. And how how lovely the other person is and how much they want to be with them. But is, is that what love is? I think really we need something more substantial something that lasts longer. We need to know that we're loved in a deeper way, with a love that isn't just done when it's easy, but a love that is expressed by ongoing action and sacrifice. Because that desire for love we have as humans is not just about romance, but it's about deeper relationships and knowing that we're cared about and loved in a deeper way. You know, like, like having a long-term friend who actually cares about the ups and downs in your life, who, who celebrates the highs and, and grieves the lows with you, or, or like a caring parent persistently caring for their child through any up and down, because real love is not based on feelings which are here one day and gone the next, but real love persists and, and perseveres. You know, it might be described in words, but real love is demonstrated with action. And we'll see a bit of this in the nature of God's love in Psalm 136 today. We'll see how God demonstrates his love for his people and what we ought to do about it. Well, firstly, in the first three verses, the very obvious thing we're called to do is to give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God God who loves us for who he is and what he's done. So have a look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You know, this is the voice of someone who knows God personally, who knows the goodness and love that flows out of God's perfect character. Now, you might notice that the Lord is in uppercase rather than lowercase, like in verse 3. This, this version in, in, the, in verse 1, it's how they've translated the, the Hebrew name Yahweh, the personal name that God gives to himself in the Old Testament. The God who made great promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he fulfills those promises across the Bible. This, this Lord, in all caps, it kind of reminds us of God's personal and relational nature and the special relationship he has with his people. But he's not only the God of that people, the God of Israel, he's he's God of the universe. Verse 2, he's God of gods. Verse 3, he's Lord of lords. He's the only God with true power. He's the ultimate Lord. And this time, in verse 3, the Lord means kind of master or, or ruler. He's the one with great authority above all the rest. He's a cut above all the rest, utterly unique. You know, it's funny how sometimes we, we might talk about sports stars in our culture in this sort of way. He's a cut above the rest, as if there's no one else like them. You know, in, in the cricket a few years ago, Steve Smith, the Australian batsman, he had a really good Ashes series. He made lots of runs. And they made, made a video about him, seeing what all his teammates said. And here's what one of his teammates said about him. It's Smithy's world and everyone else is living in it. (laughs) Like it's a very, it's quite a witty way to talk about how good he batted in that series. It's a witty exaggeration about Steve Smith, but that's not an exaggeration about God, is it? This is God's world and everyone else is living in it. He's the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's the one we are called to give thanks and praise to because he is good and his love endures forever. Now, you might have actually recognized that first line of the psalm, because it appears in other psalms. It's the first line of a few other psalms. And also in the historical books of the Bible, such as Chronicles, there are times when the people of Israel would sing this line to celebrate what God had done for them. They sing it after David defeats the Philistines. And they sing it, after the temple is built by King Solomon and they're dedicating it. Look at, what the God, look at what the Lord has done. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And so that leads us to our next point, which we see throughout the rest of the psalm. We give thanks to God for what he does, for what he has done, because God's actions are this beautiful outflow and demonstration of his loving character. So let's have a look at verses 4 to 9. To him who alone does great wonders, the one who made the heavens, the one who spread out the earth. And verses 7 to 9, the one who made the great lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars, his love endures forever after every line. And for all, all of these, we're called to give thanks. Because even God's acts of creation, they are this beautiful and powerful demonstration of his love. When when we look at the sky or the beautiful horizon or the blinding brightness of the sun or the stars and galaxies at night that are just too numerous to count, it's amazing to think that God created them instantly without any sort of difficulty. He just spoke and there they were. You know, like I might spread butter and jam on my toast God spread out the earth on the waters. And all of these things point us, yes, to God's power, but also to his love. It's out of love that he created the world and created us. He didn't create us or the world because he needed us or he needed a world full of resources. He is perfectly self-sufficient, but he created us in order to love us. God is the one who created the universe. That's the first thing we see he does and has done. And then in verses 10 to 15, we see he's also the one who redeemed his people, redeemed his people. We hear in these verses about the way God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt after commanding Pharaoh again and again to let his people go. Have a look at verse 10, what he finally did. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. And then again, his love endures forever after everyone. You might remember that Israel, that people, they, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right, a wall of water on their left. But God, in verse 15, swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, who were chasing them. God redeemed his people, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and from that harsh master Pharaoh. And, and he brought them out to be with them, displaying his great power and his great love for them. And he did it with this, this, this phrase that pops up here and in other places of the Bible, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, you know, like a, like a lifeguard grabbing someone out of the ocean who's drowning you know at bondi beach there are always people who need rescuing so many that they made a show about it i don't know if you've seen bondi rescue but there's always someone at the beach who needs rescuing you know they'll be in the waves struggling to keep their head above the water and the lifeguard will race out on this rescue board and pull the person out of the water with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You know, Israel had been stuck in slavery, oppressed by Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But in love, God rescued them and brought them to himself with this mighty hand and outstretched arm. God redeemed his people. That's the second thing we see he does. And then thirdly, he gave them an inheritance. We see this in verses 16 to 22. God led his people through the wilderness, verse 16. He struck down great kings. He killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. You know, out of all of the nations, God chose Israel, the descendant of Abraham, to be his special people. And he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, And initially, after that, he led them through the wilderness. But God had promised Abraham that he would provide land for his people, a promised land, a place of rest, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was not God's intention for them to be nomads forever. So God struck down other nations, enabled Israel to take their land, he gave them land as an inheritance. Now, a few years ago, Rachel and I went for a road trip uh, from Sydney. When it, we went up the coast, and so we drove a bit, then set up our tent, spent a night or two, packed up, drove a bit more, and eventually we just got so sick of setting up, packing up, setting up, packing up. And Rachel was also pregnant at the time, so she wasn't feeling great. Um, that we just decided to book an Airbnb up in Noosa for a few days. And it was just the best. After spending so many nights in tents, in a tent, sitting up, packing up, sitting up, packing up, it was so good just to be in a house with a a couch and a bed, a kitchen, a balcony. You know, we love camping, but only so much. Uh, Staying in that house was much nicer than tenting. And so God provides a place of rest, a home for his people Israel. A place where they can settle down, a place to be their inheritance. But there is something a bit jarring here. I don't know if it was jarring for you. Verse 17, to him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. Or perhaps back in verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, His love endures forever. A question we might be asking, particularly in today's culture, is how can striking people down be a demonstration of love? Killing people, sweeping armies into the sea? How does that show love? It's jarring to read that, struck down and love in the same line, isn't it? Well, firstly, it's clear that God's love being celebrated is his particular love for his people, Israel, his chosen people. God loves all the people he has created, but he has this special love for his covenant people. Sometimes the Bible speaks about Israel as God's son or the relationship as a husband and a wife to show this special covenant relationship. A covenant is, is a promise, an agreement in a, in a relationship, like a marriage. And so God provides especially for his people, Israel. But still, is it, is it fair to those other nations to be destroyed in this way? Well, all of those kings had the opportunity Humble themselves before the God of gods and the Lord of lords, but they chose to resist him. They chose instead to declare war against God and his people. You know, Pharaoh had lots of opportunities to let God's people go, but he kept them as slaves and then pursued them into the wilderness. Sion and Og, they were given warning and could have just let Israel pass through their territory, but what did they do instead? In their pride, they marched out with their armies against Israel, picked a fight with the God of gods, the Lord of lords. You can read about those stories in Exodus 7 to 14 and Numbers 21. But God rescued his people, Israel, from Egypt and gave them land as an inheritance, his special people, in the face of countries, nations that opposed him. Because God, like he promised to Abraham, he opposes those who oppose his people. God created, God redeemed, and God gave an inheritance. Now in these last verses, we we see that God remembers. Verses 23 to 25. He he remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Now, these verses could apply to several different parts of Israel's history. When, when God remembered them in Egypt and rescued him them, or, or in the days of the judges, when they disobeyed God and, and were so oppressed by their enemies, but they cried out to God and God remembered them and rescued them. Or in the days of exile, when their kingdom was destroyed and they were taken elsewhere, they were brought low, but God remembered his covenant brought them back from exile. This is a wonderful reminder that God is always mindful of his chosen people. He, he lifts them up in their lowest state. You know, remembered is not just, you know, oh, I remember that person and their name, but being mindful of them. You know, perhaps one, like we might say, oh, you've been on my mind. I've been thinking of you. God is mindful of his people. And he provides food to every creature, reminding us of his love for all his creation. God knows every one of us, every situation each one of us are in, and he's mindful of us, his people. God is a God who remembers. So as it says in verse 26, give thanks to the Lord, the God of heaven, for his love endures forever. Now, as we consider this this refrain, his love endures forever. And the psalm as a whole, let's let's consider what it says to us here today, Jermoyan 2022. Well, God's steadfast love is not just for ancient Israel, but it's for us too in Christ. Because in Christ we are his beloved, chosen people, and we can give thanks for all he has done for us. And You know, it's not just for us, but anyone who will come to Christ. Anyone who will come to him. Each part of the story that we see in the psalm is actually this wonderful foreshadowing of what God does for us in Christ. It's like a little picture of what what was to come. Because we are also created by God, redeemed, rescued by him, given an inheritance and remembered by him. You know, God created us, you and me, every little part of our being, all our strengths and weaknesses, our quirks and peculiarities. We are created by God in the image of God and loved by him. And then God also redeemed us. We were stuck in slavery to sin. But God sent the Lamb of God, his beloved son Jesus, to be sacrificed that we might be set free set free from the tyranny of sin and the devil, and instead serving him. Then God gave us an inheritance. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, waiting for us in heaven. We have this eternal home of rest to look forward to, our very own promised land, where the enemies of sin and death Crying and pain will be no more. God remembers us as well. He's our loving Father in heaven who knows our needs even before we ask him. He is very present with us by his Spirit. And all of these things, they're an outflow of his everlasting, enduring love. So let us give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So what else might we do with this, this love of God, having seen it in action? Well, there are lots we we could do, but I want to highlight two in particular. So firstly, you know, obviously to give thanks, straight from what it says here, be thankful for God's love. And I think something that can help us in that is to make a habit of it, and as well to seek satisfaction in his love. I've realized that I find it easiest to be thankful at mealtimes. And this is partly habit, but also I just love food. I love tasty food. So uh, eating a lasagna, oh, thank you, Lord, for this lasagna. So good. So let us be that sort of satisfied by God's love. Let us delight in it. Here are a few verses that help me to delight in God's love. From Psalm 63, it says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will be satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing, my lips and my mouth will praise you. Or perhaps from the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Right? Reminding ourselves of what God has done for us in love. It's a way to feast on it so that it satisfies our souls. And, you know, just like we said that line 26 times, his love endures forever, let's make a habit of that, reminding ourselves of God's love so that we might praise him for it. And secondly, let's also seek to imitate it, to be people who love like God loves In 1 John it says, since God so loved us, let us also love one another. To love people in action, love one another in action and in endurance and patience. You know, especially those close to us who can be most irritating to us, like our family at home or or even our church family here. Those close to us are the ones God calls to love the most, calls us to love the most. And the love that we see God have, it's not like the love we see in the world around us. As I mentioned at the start, it's, it's just so much wider and, and longer and higher and deeper than the shallow and, and short-lived love we see in our culture. God's steadfast and enduring love is a much better model. So let's make sure we're looking to him for how to love, not the world around us. So maybe we be satisfied by God's love and give Him thanks, and may we imitate His love. Now, about about a month ago, we went away with Rachel's side of the family uh, to celebrate a milestone with Rachel's grandparents, her oma and opa. They're in their nineties, and they'd recently celebrated their seventieth wedding anniversary. And so, just thinking about that blows my mind. They've been married for 70 years, you know, longer than uh, I think anyone here has been alive. And it was amazing to spend time with them and celebrate with them. And and one of the things we got to do is watch some of their family videos from, you know, 60 years ago and just see their family in action, see the love that Oma and Opa had for one another and for their kids. And then and then look from the TV screen across the room to them sitting together on the couch, you know, with a lot of years, more wrinkles and stuff, grey hair. But to see the longevity and the endurance in their love was really inspiring and encouraging. You know, Rachel and I are up to seven years at the moment. We've got a long way to go to get to 70 if we're still alive. But their marriage is a great example to us of enduring love, in action, It's a long, long-term game. And that, that's not even anything like God's love for us. That's just a glimpse of the enduring and long-term love God has for us, his people, his beloved children. So hear these words from 1 John chapter 4. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So brothers and sisters, may we find satisfaction in God's great love for us. And give thanks. And may we imitate it in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. For you are good. And your love endures forever. Lord, we, we pray that you'd forgive us for the times when, we're, when our love is just so short-lived and, and so shallow, based on feelings, perhaps. So we pray that you give us strength in your spirit to love people as you love them and as you have loved us. Lord, please satisfy us every morning with your unfailing love. Make us rejoice in your love and give you thanks. In Jesus' name.